<laughs> no. Shut up. <laughs> you shut up. Now, have you listened to the podcast before? I have not, dude. I'm embarrassed to admit it. Wouldn't it be funny if Mark walked up here with the Samsung Galaxy? That would be awkward. <laughs> Testing one, two, three on my mic. Testing one, two, three on my mic. Testing one, two, three on my mic. I'm Todd Meisner. I'm Todd Walbert. I'm Brian Achenbach. And we're talking pictures with Mark Hirsch. I've been waiting forever to have a big celebrity guest. <laughs> And we now have our first superstar <laughs> wow. celebrity guest Hey-o. in the studio, the author, photographer of the amazing book, That Tree. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Why are you here in town again? I'm here because I had the amazing opportunity to be an artist in residence, thanks to Quad City Arts. And that's, uh, now what does that entail you having to do while you're in town? Well, wait a minute, let's start with the That Tree Project at the beginning. Can you give the person who doesn't know, and I don't know who doesn't know about that tree, they must be living under a tree or a rock or something, did not know about that tree, um, because I think I've mentioned it on the podcast about a thousand times. A billion times, times, yeah. Yeah. It's like, stop talking about Hirsch, he'll do the show eventually. uh, I am a bit of a fanboy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I wish no, we, no. I wish we had a camera on you when no. you said that because it, it was so dismissive. Of, no. Dismissive. God, you retire and then all of a sudden you become totally dismissive. Smart ass. Yeah, that's right. You know, I'm not filling out your performance report anymore. <laughs> that's right. Anyway, so tell us a little about um, a thumbnail sketch of, of that your book, That Tree. Yeah, well, That Tree came about as a result of some adversity in my life, um, a bad accident, and then uh, some amazing inspiration from three people in my life that steered me down road I never could have imagined. Um, that and probably the most monumental occurrence was buying an iPhone. <laughs> Who would have imagined? Mm-hmm. My friend Corey Peplinjack, the day I got the iPhone, her message to me was, isn't the camera great? I'm like, I didn't buy a camera, I bought a cell phone. Mm-hmm. But I discovered that I actually bought a camera and I uh, embarked on this crazy adventure um, I was needing some inspiration in my life. Um, um, the adversity was a, a serious car accident. I wasn't making pictures for anybody. Corey's challenge to treat it like an iPhone inspired me to make a picture of a tree in the middle of Wisconsin cornfield. And uh, that burr oak tree and my obsessive compulsive commitment to photograph it every day, <laughs> thanks to inspiration from another friend, Greg Gunther, who saw the second uh, picture that I'd made over the course of a month, uh, sent me a note, dude, what's with you in that tree the next day? I don't know. The joke I tell is I guess if Greg t- told me to jump off a bridge, I would jump because I went to the tree, I made a picture, and I never stopped. It, it really is one of the – well, here, this is this is what a big deal Mark is at, in my house, and it doesn't start with me. Sunday morning, <laughs> he does uh, – the CBS Sunday morning, which is my the only TV show worth watching um, – does has Mark do an essay, and I'm downstairs drinking my coffee. Uh, Mark is on my TV, which is kind of weird since I you don't usually <laughs> see your friends on national television talking to you. And then um, about a half hour later, Lisa comes downstairs and goes, "Oh, I did you were you watching CBS Sunday Morning? They had this guy from Wisconsin, a photographer, <laughs> and he's doing this awesome project about this tree, and it's a picture a day." And I go. Yeah, Mark Hirsch. <laughs> you know him? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And she's like, oh, 
That's so cool. Mm-hmm. My wife has never said anything like that. She didn't say that about you, for, no, no. for instance. <laughs> but it's it's that's that's you know that's when I realized that the the project wasn't uniquely photoy. That it was a universal project mm-hmm. that that anybody your grandmother the hardened photojournalists to to grandmothers could relate to mark's project and that's why what made it so awesome because a lot of the books you photo books you see the average person's going to pick it up and go there's no entry point but mark's book and the things that he wrote in his book are are just so inspirational that you know i think just think it's well, a really super universal book yeah it's it's been a crazy experience i mean i i had no idea how trees resonate with people um and like you mentioned you know i mean you think about what we did our whole careers as photojournalist guys i mean i mean i did it I, i'm guessing you did it too but my, i was always concerned about oh man i i need to make a better picture than than todd or whatever it may be when you're shooting an assignment you're always trying to outshoot your colleagues and your peer group and your friends but with this project man i wasn't trying to satisfy anybody but me and uh I mean, that's one of the messages I try and stress when I'm talking to these kids. It wasn't about satisfying anybody but me. And the result ended up being something that freaks me out, that it, it touched mostly ordinary people. Photographers find it inspiring too, but ordinary people find it really inspiring. And I never could have imagined. I mean, I, I laugh about the decisions I made when I was in the position you three are in as newspaper photographers. I mean, I was, I was photo editor, I was visual editor, I was always so caught up in the hardcore, the intense, the the mainstream. I, if a photographer would have come to me with an idea of something as soft as a picture of Dave, a tree in a cornfield, I mean, think how hard that would be to sell to any of our news editors. With a camera phone. With a camera phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I was after I reread the the essays last night, and I I listened. I sat in on two of uh, Mark's presentations yesterday with with kids at Eugene Field. And by the way, the kids at Eugene Field, two thumbs up to them. They were awesome. Oh, they're an amazingly disciplined group of kids. Yeah, they really are. Um, and I it made me realize just how messed up this business makes your brain. Because you don't, I don't know how to put it, you are constantly moving. And the idea of being able to concentrate on one thing for a year must put your brain in such a much more healthy place. Have you found that to be true? Oh gosh, that's one of the things I stress. I mean, you know, I have friends that who are devout Catholics and they they go to mass like daily. And uh, for me, Going to that tree every day, I mean, I, I talk about the spirituality of nature. I talk about the contemplative slowing down that I experienced every day, and I still experience it. Now, you know, this last three weeks has been kind of chaotic here, but I've been able to escape to places like Scott County Park, um, the Singing Bird Nature Center. Is it at Blackhawk Park? Yep, here? Blackhawk State uh, Park, yep. Just these quiet places, and uh, man, sadly, especially as photojournalists, man, our lives are chaotic. You know, the, the buzz, the noise, the chaos of the news and the demands of reporters, the demands of of department editors, the depa- demands of the advertising department, whatever it may be. Man, we are run, run, run from, from the start of your day to the end of your day, you go home, you're still thinking about work when you go home, and that's the way it was for me for, for 20 some years and to to suddenly take on a lifestyle i mean you know when i was doing my freelance journalism my my freelance corporate commercial work i still had that 
But at the end of the day, it was a different buzz. It was a different noise because it was all for me. I didn't have uh, an administration or a corporate entity putting the pressure on me. It was pressure I put on myself. And we all, as photojournalists, put pressure on ourselves on a daily basis. But with the Tree Project and the way this has evolved, that it's, it's kind of taken over my life and to evolve into an opportunity for me at 55 to land an artist in residency where I'm able to go in and try and inspire kids or or try and inspire school teachers or or whatever it may be. I mean, it's it's a much quieter challenge, but to still escape to the valley of that tree and really slow down. And, and I mean, the funny thing is kind of a blessing. My cell service is terrible in the valley of the tree. Sometimes I forget to put it in airplane, airplane mode, Mr. Know how to record yeah. video and not get burned. But, but, but usually even if I forget my cell service is so bad, I don't get interrupted. And uh, I just go there and it's this quiet contemplative experience. I've learned to slow down. And I, the message I tell the kids is uh, you've got to let yourself see. Um, you know, as photojournalists, we know what the story is. We know what the assignment is. We're already pondering, okay, I know where it's at. I've been to that place 101 times. What's the light going to be like? Okay, I, I know the story I'm supposed to illustrate. Uh, who are the important parties, whatever it may be. But to go to the valley of that tree, there's only one picture that I'm always trying to incorporate into my pictures. And it may not literally be in the picture. It may be a background element. It may be a leaf of the tree. It may be a detail of something on the bark, whatever it may be. But to go down there every day, and, and not force myself to preconceive and take a walk around, to have the luxury to be able to go and take a walk around. I mean, I, it's, it's a crazy concept. And, and I, I walk around and I make pictures and, and I always know when, I've, when I'm done because I make a picture that makes me go, yeah, that's a pretty rewarding image, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've fulfilled my goal for the day, and then I'm back to life's digital chaos. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I had some some kind of more technical questions for you about how you, you know it's the, this picture a day. How many hours do you think you had wrapped up oh at the gosh. end of it? I mean, yeah. is it was it an hour a day? Was it two hours a day? Oh, it depended. Um, it was probably no less than an hour a day. Mm -hmm. And there were days where I went down at sunrise. I didn't feel inspired. I felt inspired, but it didn't get a picture that, to me, satisfied me. And and uh, if I had time during the day, I would respond to the light. Or if I didn't have time during the day to respond to the light, I was back there. You know, when the light was nice, nice closer to sunset. And then at that point, then you've got to produce. But it seems like I always managed to find something. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it, it, it ranged a lot. I, I told the kids yesterday, there was one day when I went down there. It was one of those days when you have a, uh, an opening on the horizon and a cloud-covered sky. And there's just that little <laughs> sliver. And I went down. And it happened to me twice. The one time I went down, I ran down, got to the tree, went up behind it thinking I'm going to get that silhouette between that little little peaking sun on the horizon, and I missed it. Well, another unique picture materialized when I discovered a turkey's nest in the field. But another time I went down there, I ran down the field. I, the perspective guy, I always carry a step ladder. Climbed up on the step ladder. I composed the shot. I literally made one frame. The sun winked out behind that cloud cover sky. And uh, that was the shortest time I ever spent down wow. there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm I, done. I'm out. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm always amazed at, I mean, I don't know, people think, uh, pe people seem to have two percep perceptions of what it is that we do. Um, I'm always amazed at the people who are like, oh, it must be so cool just to drive around and take pictures. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's not what we do. But, uh, man, I kind of wish it was, but that, that would be a cool job. I don't disagree. Yeah. But, um, but it's, I, you know, I can't believe how hard it must have been. Now, 
you know, earlier you spoke a little bit about how contemplative and relaxing it was. When the project started taking momentum and you had you created a Facebook page. Yep. And um, that people was like started in checking June, in. June of 2012, and I'd started it on March 24th. Okay. So when the momentum started going, did mm-hmm. you start feeling a weird pressure about, oh my God, you know, oh, yeah. I can't fail now because people oh, yeah, are watching? Kind of, kind of, because when my hometown paper, the Platteville Journal, contacted me to do a story, my first thought was, oh my gosh, I've got so much digital noise on Facebook with just my friends and family. And I'm thinking, Oh, if people start wanting to follow my project, I do not want to add to my, my chaos. It's already a, a kind of an annoying distraction, the, the way Facebook has evolved. And so my twin brother convinced me to create a Facebook page for the trees. So we did that. And then literally within a days of, of the, the article in the hometown paper, there were 400 people following the project. <laughs> and wow. so, yeah, it, it started to kind of create a degree of pressure, mm-hmm. but but then I just thought back again. What inspired me about this project? What what was it about this experience that motivated me? And it was about helping me recover from my accident, helping me rediscover my passion for photography, helping me literally heal. And uh, I just I just went back to what inspired it to begin with, and I stopped worrying about it. But yeah, there was some pressure, and um, but I you know <laughs> I was out there. Uh, the first day of spring, what was that, the 20th? Um, I was out there Sunday night making a picture. Uh, I responded to the light Sunday night. I knew I was gonna be here in the Quad Cities and my first uh, presentation Monday morning was at 7.30, which mean, means I had to be here early. But I know I'm gonna miss out on a week of that forced, quiet, contemplative opportunity. I went out on Sunday night, I literally, the weather here was probably the same way. I walked outside, I'm like, oh my gosh, it was like a heat wave, it was 74 degrees. I went out to the valley of the tree and I was out there two hours before sunset and I just sat there and I kind of wandered around and I made pictures and and enjoyed the moment and then uh, sunset blessed me with this absolutely incredible light and still finding opportunities, still finding personal reward and. And here I am today. <laughs> Speaking, staying on the technical end, you use what now? How, what apps do you use, yes. or or whatever? To, yep. I'm sure some people are interested in. Yeah. That. So the the whole book was shot with a 4S. The operating system on the 4S, you know, was kind of challenging. Um, even if I used my favorite camera app is Camera Plus, but Camera Plus back with that operating system, the only way you could control the exposure was to aim the exposure cursor at something very bright or aim the exposure cursor at something very dark, and then you could lock the exposure. Now we're fortunate with the iPhone, it's WYSIWYG. But if you didn't have something bright to aim it at, well then how am I gonna get a faster shutter speed? Well, at some point in time when I kept getting burned on really dramatic saturated sunsets, I discovered a flashlight. Shine a flashlight at the cursor, and then get the exposure where I wanted it, and then I would lock it. Well, the newer operating system on the, the 6, which is what I'm shooting with today, Camera Plus is a fantastic camera app. Focus and exposure are independent. You can lock in um, a macro focus. Um, you can uh, manually control um, color balance, which you know sometimes can really be a really valuable tool because it's a dumb box. It doesn't really know what the color of the light looks like. And uh, so Camera Plus is the absolute number one tool. Snapseed for very basic picture editing, which fortunately for Android users is versatile in both both uh, types of phones. Um, uh, an application I really like, but I only use it when I have an image that needs to be dodged or burned, a Photo FX. With Photo FX, say I take a picture, I, I can picture a, a scene I shot with uh, literally the moon was setting in the morning and I, I use a tripod with my iPhone, 
Um, I use an any case adapter to hold the iPhone. And I had this nice composition. I had like two thirds foreground and it was last year's corn stalks in the cornfield. And the, the moon was setting in the western sky and it was kind of this uh, uh, lovely uh, pinkish, bluish sky. And so I wanted to expose for that nice saturation with that whole foreground with those really cool, little bit of reflected light on those corn stalks, it was pretty much disappearing. Well, with Photo FX, I shoot the picture in Canva Plus, I import it into Photo FX, I just go into the basic levels, I grab the highlight slider, I slide the highlight slider to the left to brighten up the, the entire picture. There's just like the history brush in Photoshop. There's a history brush, brush mode. You select it and I just erase back in the whole sky and now you've got this nice color balance. It's, it's more realistic than if people use an HDR app because the, the HDR apps tend to over-dramatize the, the view and so, Photo FX is just an incredible tool that really enhances the opportunities. So, um, and then my my favorite app for the the really unique pictures. I was working with it yesterday with uh, uh, Todd knows these two kids, the two Ethans. <laughs> the two these Ethans. kids. These kids will. I will have pictures of them when they be so when they win their Academy Award. We have pictures of when they were yeah. in junior high. Yeah. So so the, they were intrigued by the application's uh, slow shutter app. So shutter app is the only way with an iPhone that you can do a timed exposure. So, uh, but it's really cool. I have a picture in my book that was of fireflies and yeah. was the time when I first discovered the magic of slow shutter app. What it is is a video app and it just stacks video stills for however long the duration is and then you've got your picture. Now when you finish, it's, it's, it's semi-intuitive. You really need to practice with it, but it may take up to a, oh, from anywhere from a five second to a, I mean, I think you can do a minute long exposure. You might even be able to do longer. But then when you're all done, the picture is representative of the greatest degree of motion blur that you captured. But it's really cool because then you can click on edit and there's a little slider and the slider's in the middle of the exposure. And you can take the slider and you can go back to when you first started the exposure, which is less motion blur, or you can go back to the middle and go all the way to the end. So say you're taking a picture of moving water in a stream and the water was really boiling at first, you know, that's kind of how it works. Sometimes they're really boiling at the end. You visually have the option of choosing where wow. in the exposure you want to capture it and save it. So it's really kind of a cool option. It's just a, so those are the main technical applications that I use. And then I'm, of course I'm the human zoom because um, there really are not any really good adapter lenses they all have little weird anomalies and the um are the pictures in the book were they edited pre-press on a computer for the for the book or does everything straight out of the camera they, they were edited in snapseed on the iphone they were imported into photoshop because you guys know from reproducing photos in newspapers um uh, you have to apply Fogra. Fogra was the profile that I had to apply to every picture for the printer that reproduced my right. book. So I had to import them into Photoshop. I had to apply the Fogra profile, but applying the Fogra profile also was at the moment when it converted the RGB file to a CMYK file. You guys know that experience. Right. I call it the kiss of death. Yeah. If the photo had any predominant blues in it, they might turn magenta, they might turn purple, who knows what range of unrealistic colors they would change. If that happened, I would go in like much like we do in the newspaper reproduction, um, go in and do as much as I can to restore it to what it looked like. But those were the only modifications of and the only applications of Photoshop in reproducing the pictures in the book. 
Very cool. Yeah. Because, I mean, we get – people get a little too tied up in the filters of Instagram. And I remember when you were oh, yeah. when you were in the middle of this, you kept emphasizing to people – these, this is real sunset. Yes. I did not create this in a, in a, uh, with a filter. Yeah, my friend Greg Gunther, he, he kept insisting, you have to hashtag it, no filter. Yeah. <laughs> People don't believe you. You have to hashtag it, no filter. <laughs> you no, know, man. The, um, the thing that has intrigued me is that the reaction, uh, the public reaction to the book has been wonderful. Have you run into anybody the hard-bitten photojournalist or the total public skeptic who just looks at it as that doesn't kind of contemplate it for for what it is that that immediately dismiss it have you had to have that conversation with anybody not really and you know what i mean it's kind of the message i've been sharing with kids all week long um you know too often in life the decisions we make um the reactions we allow ourselves to make because we're uptight about somebody else's perception or belief, and and I've never really worried about that. Um, if uh, if I let other people's perceptions, other people's skepticism about what I'm doing, if I would have let that happen, you were there, Todd, yesterday when I was trying to emphasize that message. If I would have if I would have responded to people that were skeptical and thought I'd lost my mind when I was doing it, the people that thought my head injury was really bad because here's this. 53-year-old guy climbing a tree. Here's this 53-year-old guy every day down and laying in the mud in a cornfield. What is the matter with that guy? The, the one kid, when I, I pressed him to come up with a word for it, they said, well, I would have thought that was weird. I said, yes, people thought it was weird. So if there's a skeptic out there and, and they have a negative opinion of it, I just don't worry about it because um, it's had incredibly positive outcomes and and it's detrimental as an artist or a photographer to let negativity get in the way of something that you find rewarding even if people don't like my pictures we're in an incredibly subject subjective medium incredibly subjective look at contests oh i hate oh, contests oh, yeah. Uh, yeah i mean that's what i try to emphasize to the, the to everybody on staff especially the young people is you know you're going to win awards you can't get too high when you win and you can't get too high when you lose or too high when too you lose low, yeah well, i mean like high as in drugs no um <laughs> Um, too low when you lose. Um, yeah, no, we talk about that a lot, especially with these young guys. That yeah. It's it's hard. Yep. I, I've had my portfolio ripped apart by like New York Times photographer seasoned vets that yep. my mentor would send off my stuff to to be like, which photo should we put into a contest? And they all come back. He uh, should crop tighter. He should zoom tighter with a 70 to 200. He doesn't know how to edit. He doesn't know how to capture the right moment. And I get, you know, you liked some photos that those guys didn't like. You didn't like photos that other people liked. And it's just an opinion. Yep. And there was a while there in college where I just let it get to me. But in reality, and for so many photographers out there, if you let it get to you, they've won and you've lost. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's just so important to keep that motivation and keep keep your self confidence. And it's about what you like. It's about and with your trees, you liked what you're doing. Mm -hmm. 
screw everybody else who's like, oh, is it just a tree? Well, it's art, and art comes in very different shapes and sizes. And and that's the difference about this project versus my photojournalism days. I mean, you know, again, if, if a young photographer in my days as a newspaper photo editor would have come to me with this idea, I, I, I probably would have scoffed at him, you know? Or even for me to imagine, Brian, if I came to you, if you worked for me and I said, hey, I've got this great idea. Come on, you'd look at me a little cross-eyed and, and uh, I'm just really glad that I was not in the news uh, business trying to produce this picture because it never would have happened. Well, that, that was the, the one of the questions you led me right into it was that do you feel fortunate or blessed in some way that you know you lost your you got laid off in Dubuque. Yep. Um, you went you went to work in a scissor lift factory. Yep. Yep. You you followed the presidential campaign. Um, and then you coming back from a freelance assignment and you nearly die when a cement truck part hits you directly in the front windshield. Yep. I mean, I don't know how you live from that. I mean, I've seen, oh, the, I've it's, seen the, it's every crazy. time yesterday when I was f- filming you talk, having been t- through your, your, um, speech once or your presentation once I had one camera iPhone, um, on you. And then I had one handheld to a girl who I thought might have a good reaction to that part, and her eyes got get get big as soon as the picture of the car comes up, because the kids are like, you know, they're sitting there, and you know, they're what are they, sixth graders? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the sixth graders were way more responsive than the eighth graders. Eighth graders have that dead eye stare that can yep. scare you if you you. I mean, you can go like, I'm done. I'm leaving. You 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 you, you got me, kids. All right, I'm a fraud. I know. Eighth graders. I'm sorry. I'm not cool enough to be talking to you. Obviously, um, I think that if a, a major celebrity had walked into the room, was the only way they were going to pay attention, um, or at least pretend to pay attention. But the um, the idea that this this reaction to the car and and that's the. But so you've gone through all of this, and all of those things led to so the tree. Today. I know, yeah. It's... And so you can't remove one of them. You can't no. even have a regret for one minute, yeah, can what you? Yeah, is that the butterfly effect? Isn't that what it is? Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I mean, I look back. I mean, you know, the message I was trying to stress to those kids, I mean, Todd, Todd heard me. It's, this whole process has been kind of an epiphany because I'm not trained as a teacher, and I'm talking to such a broad range of kids the demographic is amazing age-wise and uh those kids i spoke to yesterday at eugene field the fifth and sixth graders my realization is they are the perfect age for somebody to present to where they are they're not jaded by by adolescence um their their intellect is evolved to a point where they're a very engaged audience and uh they were really fun to talk to and they were very responsive and but yeah i don't know man it's I, I, I can't imagine that, that the opportunities that I'm getting because I did something that came about because of all these crazy adversities in my life, um, uh, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that's an, I mean, that's, the, that's why I love this book so much because it, it just, it resonates with me because, I, because of things that have happened in my life and I know um, that you get to the point where you think one thing it's like oh, this is the end of it this is this is this is i'm i'm going down the wrong path or whatever and then all of a sudden you get if you weren't on that path you wouldn't get knocked back yep. into a different path yep. and so as long as you can keep your head up high good things will come to you 
if you're one, you're patient and and you keep your head above water. I mean, I think that that's a kid, especially the young photographers. It's like, don't, you cannot get frustrated by this one assignment because there's going to be, the paper comes out every day and you have a chance. It's like baseball. You know, you go 0 for 4, you know, uh, on Tuesday. Well, on Wednesday's game, you can go 3 for 5 with two home runs. I mean, that's just the way the business is. You know, Todd and I talk about hitting for average in this business all the time. I mean, you can hit one home run, um, and get one great picture that gets a ton of accolades, but once, you know, it's like, yeah, but what did you, what have you, you done you, for yeah, me well, lately? Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. Remember, was it Jessica? What was the kid that was caught in the oil well? Yeah. Oh, Texas. yeah, baby Jessica. Yeah. Remember the photographer? No, I remember the picture. I, don't. I remember, I remember the picture. picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that picture. And, you know, he's, yeah, it was if the proximity of the event more than the, than the portfolio of the photographer and ended up winning a Pulitzer and we probably never heard from him again. He's still probably out there just like all of us doing a good job uh, providing great community journalism but kind of a forgotten entity. Mm-hmm. We, we can't all be John White. Yeah, no, yeah. we can't all be John White. <laughs> but you know, I, I think, I, and the important lesson I think for photographers in your book is that, you know, that way of seeing, you know, it's we all see the same things, especially here in the community. I mean, I grew up here. You know, Moline hasn't changed. I mean, it has, but it hasn't. There are more changed. restaurants downtown. There's more restaurants downtown. <laughs> um, you know, there's such a such a trap in thinking. You know, because one of the curses for us, anyways, we shoot a lot of weather art. We shoot yep. a lot of weather features, and one of the real curses is thinking, "Oh God, you know, back to the bike path to take another yep. freaking picture of a kid on a swing." And there's a real danger in that. And I, you know, I was, and I'm guilty <laughs> of it. I know, I, many days I came back bitching, but. Um, that's, but, why you know, we, that's why we forced well, you to retire. Well, so, <laughs> that's right. So that's fun to go. now. So like Warren Winter, my, my friend and publisher, the guy who helped me publish my book, he is very good friends with a, a very respected and noted uh, photojournalist and photo editor, and I'm not even sure where he's at now, Blake Sell. And Blake Sell was with Getty Images when Warren and I flew to New York to do my CBS Sunday morning piece, and we went out that night. And uh, I mean, Warren and Blake are just there. These guys are kind of icons in the industry. These are the guys that are that are scratching and kicking and making sure that the the money that line level photographers are making is um, the money they should be making versus what the industry tries to uh, deflate and rob us of. Because you know uh, the guys at the top want all the money, and we're the guys at the bottom. And we're sitting there. We're sitting there in a restaurant, and we're having supper. And Warren and Blake were both just, you know, they're they're contrasting it to, you know, the basic bump and grind photojournalism we do on a daily basis. And I I cannot count the number of times that I would have a a new motivated young photographer or an intern from San Francisco State or wherever it may be. And, And it was one of those painful days when not many things came from the newsroom for assignments, but we still have to illustrate page one, page three, that's the least we have to illustrate. <laughs> right. And then you have to tell the, one of your poor staff photographers who you're hoping was proactive and has discovered something that they can actually generate a meaningful picture from today so they're not just randomly looking for enterprise art. But nope, uh, you're going to have to go find an enterprise feature. And they drive around, which is the biggest mistake. They just drive around seeing the world from the, the driver's seat of their car. And then they come back. They've been gone for four hours. <laughs> And they come into the photo studio. I'm I'm a half an hour or 15 minutes from the four o'clock budget meeting, and I go, "What have you got?" And they go, oh, "There was nothing to shoot. <laughs> nothing to shoot." <laughs> okay, and, and so Blake and Warren are both like, "Yeah, uh, your book needs to be in some of those photo departments because nothing to shoot 
is not a true reality. Um, you just need to slow down and let yourself see. Um, there's a lot of repetition if you look through my book and you really start paying attention to stuff, but it, but it's actually kind of journalistic in nature. Mm -hmm. It's relationships, it might be a relationship between the tree and some, some plant in the foreground. It might be a, a closer look at some detail that I discovered. Um, it might be a, a scene setter that's uh, dependent on the quality of light at uh, the time of day. It might be a weather photo. It's amazing how many weather photos I have in my book about that tree. But yeah, um, I never would have imagined that I'd have a really pretty strong tool to hand off to a young photographer that came in after being assigned to find an enterprise feature and, and slide that tree over and say, okay, look through this and think about me trying to convince myself that there was nothing to shoot. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Yeah. Brian? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll go out today, boss. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's a, the budget's kind of thin, so yeah. I hope you were paying attention. So tell me how Vincent LaFleurier ended up doing the forward for your book. Because my good friend Warren Winter, who is connected to every photojournalist in the country, and I almost think in the world, my good friend Warren Winter is very good friends with Vincent. And uh, Vincent had followed my project, and uh, he found it intriguing, and Warren approached him, and he said yes, by all means he would. So it was pretty cool. And, and Vincent is, <laughs> guy is just amazing. I mean, anything he touches turns to gold, but it's it's not by accident. I mean, the guy's kind of sickly talented. I mean, you know, he's he's got like, what, two Pulitzers? Um, his book right now, which was published by Warren, Press Syndication Group, uh, Air. I mean, have you guys seen the book? Yeah. Air? Unbelievable! It's absolutely crazy. I mean, you know, pushing uh, pushing aerial photography to the nether reaches with a helicopter. I mean, we're talking probably dangerous. It is dangerous. And oh, I mean, the video of him hanging out of the essentially it looks like he's hanging out of the helicopter is a little yeah, unnerving. It is. It is. But but Vincent wrote the forward for my book, which was really really cool. And now it's funny, of course. All of us think that's really interesting because we're photojournalists, we're photographers. Most people that read the book, the the women, the demographic for my book is women 25 to 65. They don't know who Vincent Lafrey is. Unless he's a oak tree, they, they probably don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you needed to, if you, if you knew your target market audience was that, you would have had... Um, I don't know, Brad Pitt, right? You're, you're, you're like, uh, yes, oh, yes. hey, you got to yeah. buy this book because it's got a really small picture of Brad Pitt and he, and he wrote in it. Yeah. No, but it's it's cool that that Vincent did that, and uh, yeah. Oh well, oh, so one of the really cool things he did. So it would have been a year ago when when Air was really getting some traction, really building some public interest. Um, the company that owns all of the billboards in Times Square and also the billboards in Vegas, they contacted Vincent. They decided they wanted to invest uh, like an entire afternoon or an entire day of resource time on their billboards to showcase art. And their anchor art was gonna be Vincent LaFerre's project. So so leading up to this thing, they, they created a, a promo campaign where they encouraged just ordinary people to submit photos for consideration, be broadcast on the billboards in Times Square. Well, Vincent sent out emails to uh, like 20 colleagues in the industry, and I was fortunate to be one of the colleagues in the industry, he said, Hirsch, pick one picture that you think is representative. I picked a representative picture, and then I put a nondescript watermark on it. It couldn't be anything too dramatic, put a nondescript watermark on it. And then uh, Robert Kaplan, who was another 
highly respected photojournalist and kind of of that same group, the LaFerrey crew. Um, he's also friends with Warren Winter, another one of those amazing connections. But the day that this is all going down, all these photographers gathered in uh, Times Square and they're all out there witnessing this amazing display of photojournalism on the billboards. And then Robert Kaplan got this great picture for me of that tree on the billboard in Times Square. That's awesome. And I shared that on Facebook and on Instagram, and it was kind of cool. You that know? is really cool. <laughs> kind of cool. That's yeah. See, it's this, kind of a dream of mine to have a photo yeah. in Times Square. So I mean, it it it's this is the humble uh, nature of of Mark, which makes him. So great! It's you got you go from being essentially uh, okay, dude. You're embarrassing me. <laughs> well, it's radio. You can't see a blush, um, except I do have an iPhone know, on yeah. you to record. You know, we can see you. Blush. Well, we can't. Yeah, and the idea that you've gone from essentially uh, from about where I'm standing in my job to having these experiences. Uh, to becoming uh, world famous and not having it go to your head. I don't know. I mean, we've, we've talked about there are a lot of, well, I called them last week, embittered assholes. There are, there are a lot of people who achieve greatness or public notoriety, and it changes them. I, 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 you are still the positive person that I've always known, but... It, it doesn't seem to have changed you, this book project or the success and the accolades. Well, I would hope it wouldn't change me. I mean, I mean, I guess I've seen people who respond in the way that you're describing, but man, oh man, I mean, uh, life is a blessing. Uh, the, the, one of the messages I share is tomorrow is not guaranteed. Uh, the other one is, you know, I mean, they laugh sometimes when I say it, but it's fun to be nice to people. And, um, you know, to me, I haven't done anything that special. I did something that was personally rewarding for me, uh, that it inspires other people and moves them is just kind of gives me goosebumps every time I encounter that experience when somebody personally shares it with me. And um, I don't know, man. Um, some of the, some of the experiences that I've that I've had, and it's it's I, I it's the silly cliche of paying it forward. Um, when Warren and my friend Greg Gunther consulted to help set up the whole process, the whole publishing process, it was a new experience to me. I don't didn't understand it. Um, it seemed too good to be true. But one of the things they insisted that we had to do is you have to charge people more money if they order a book online and you mail it to them, if they, if it's autographed. So they charged like double the money for an autographed book, and I just kind of cringed at the concept. But when people order an autographed book, now early on. Quite, it was amazing. People must have a lot of disposable income because a lot of people were ordering autographed books that they would want me to send to them. And I'd look at that, and I was almost embarrassed by the idea. And so the cool thing about the, the database is I have their email address, I have their phone number, I have all this information. So I shipped all of the books myself. So I would be there in my little tiny office packing and shipping books, and then I'd have like 10 or 12 people that had actually spent $79 for a copy of my book. They paid an extra 40 bucks to have me put my John Henry on it. So I'd, I'd pull out all their, their order slips and I'd sit down, I'd get out my phone, I'd start calling numbers. And it was so funny because, you know, they don't know who I am. This number would pop up and people would be all indignant and angry because this telemarketer is calling yeah. them. And then I'd finally get their attention and I'd, I'm trying to explain to them who I am. I'm, I'm Mark Hirsch, that tree guy. And then when the light bulb would go on, they would just 
freak out. They're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> that tree guy? I go, yeah, I published the book, That Tree. You ordered an autographed copy. And then we'd have this great conversation. And then I would personalize the book for him and send it. And just trying to pay it forward, guys, because, I mean, it's ridiculous that something I did that people thought was nuts is is yielding these fun connections with life. There's one woman in particular, her name is uh, Galen, I'm gonna butcher her name, Woja Hovitz or Wojits or something, she, it's a Polish name, she's from New Jersey. The first time she ordered books, she ordered like six of them, six autographed books. I'm uh -huh. like, oh, no, she didn't order autographed books, she ordered normal books, but I'm like, holy cow, some that order six books, I gotta call them. So, so I dialed up the number and I asked for whoever's name was on the, the book order, it was her husband. So he, I, someone answers the phone, they hand the, the phone to him, I start telling him who I am, he says, oh no, 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 you wanna to talk to Galen. So he hands the phone to his wife and I explained to her who I am and we just had this incredibly nice conversation and she has bought a copy of my book for every single one of her grandchildren since. Oh, wow. So, and, and, and she sends me nice messages on Facebook or she responds to the pictures that I'm still posting today. But humility goes a long ways, guys, and uh, you know, the reality in our industry, we're only as good as our next picture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tomorrow we're, or today, we're probably lining the bird feeder or the cat litter box. And, <laughs> and so I guess that's kind of the background of how I've always lived under. And and uh, I don't know if that explains the value of being humble, but that's how I try to be. Speaking of the next picture, what uh – do you, do you have another project that you're starting to think about or? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've been wrestling with it because uh, uh, one of the crazy outcomes of this whole experience is that now I've been publishing books. Um, I published a, a wonderful book by Brian Peterson last October called Minnesota State of Wonders. Um, I've got some other people that are trying to get me to help them publish their books. And as a publisher, what you end up being is essentially a glorified project manager. I mean, it's juggling a lot right. of stuff getting all the, the 1099 employees together that can provide all the services that it takes to produce a book. But uh, ideally the book I would like to produce for myself, if I can ever get my head above water and stop, start saying no to these other opportunities, I would like to do a book where I, I travel for a year, load up my pickup truck, my mountain bike, my dog, and uh, respond to, when, when I travel, people tip me off to places they think I should visit. Mm -hmm. They're usually obscure parks. Like Scott County Park would be a good example. Or they, they recommend I visit a specific tree that they find unique and interesting. And so these people have a connection to their tree or their place, like I have to that tree in that place. And uh, I would respond to people's suggestions and ideas and try and incorporate them, uh, interview them, uh, shoot these interesting personal places. And then at the culmination, I would publish a book that would be the family tree of that tree. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. That's so really they're cool. they're all connected by my tree project. Mm -hmm. and what was the, you're speaking about going away for a year and doing this or working on it for a year. What was the conversation like with your family when you said, this is what I want to do? Well, it, because you, oh, because, yeah. because when I think about some project that pops into my head, I think, well, I got to go to work. I got to. I have family commitments. I whatever. And he's like, 
how do you get your mind around doing something like a 365 pictures of a tree over you're being creative and having to have to be there in the sunrise or be there at sunset or somewhere in between to make the pictures that make it a diverse enough visually book that would make it interesting but how is that conversation because the time commit was was enormous yeah and, and you know what i mean it all just kind of happened organically i really didn't think about it Corey pebble and jack inspired me to treat the iphone like a camera crazy greg gunther called me and said you should do a photo a day with that tree i'm doing it for a month and a half or so and i really had no idea how long i was going to commit to it i mean you know might be uh, two months it might be three months who knows i might quit tomorrow at that point that was kind of my attitude it was just something that was happening organically well then warren winter contacted me and warren my good friend press syndication group he'd published a book with robert kaplan for justin bieber and warren calls me and he says uh Hershey says, I'm kind of digging that tree project. He says, I think if you go a year, we can publish a book. Well, it was that point, you know, that I committed to myself. All right, I'm doing it for a year. Well, Warren even contacted me a month later and he calls me one day. He's like, Hirsch, he goes, you're really going to do this. I'm like, what are you talking about, Warren? <laughs> he goes, he goes, you're really going to do this. You're really going to take a picture of that tree every day for a year. And I'm like, dude, you've never steered me wrong. I mean, this is a guy who has created so many amazing opportunities for me and other photojournalists. And and Warren's kind of, he's one of those sickly talented idea guys. I mean, I, I jumped in full body because I, I believed him and, and he was dumbfounded, but so that's how it happened. So then, oh gosh, it's, uh, probably April, May, June, and uh, my daughter comes to me. She's a senior in high school that year. She says, hey, Dad, where are we going for family vacation this year? Wow, I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of standing there and thinking, I'm making a picture day. I've got all this time invested. Holy crap. Uh, if there's a family vacation, I'm not going. And that was what I told Cassandra. And she was kind of crushed by the whole concept. And, uh, you know, I mean, I learned a, an appreciation for dairy farmers being hostage to a dairy yeah. curd. Those cows need to be milked every day. Well, I had this crazy commitment that I'd created for myself. I had a lot invested and I was gonna be committed geographically. You know, most photo a day projects, it's a picture a day, but it's never of the same thing. And it's no geographic restrictions. It's wherever you are, whatever you encounter, or maybe you come up with a theme that you could generate anywhere in the world. But I had hamstringed myself with a story where I had to be at the same place every day for a year. So we never really had that conversation. I never really had the realization until Cassandra came to me asking about family vacation. Now, I share another really cool story though, because the culmination of the project, my daughter Cassandra, who kind of got burnt, well, totally got burned out of a family vacation. March of the, the near end of the project is coming around and people are freaking out because they're really engaged and they're like, oh, what are you, what are you gonna shoot in the last day? And then they're, they're worried that they're, I'm gonna cut them off cold turkey, no more of that tree pictures. <laughs> and uh, they start asking me, what are you gonna shoot on the last day? I had no idea. Cassandra comes to me, Dad, what are you gonna shoot on the last day? And I told her the same thing. I don't know what I'm shooting tomorrow. I have no idea what I'm shooting on the last day. Well, the daughter who got burned out of a family vacation came up with one of the coolest ideas of the project, the conclusory picture of conclusory pictures. We created a Facebook page and invited all these people from around the country, from the area, anybody who could to come and be in the final picture with that tree. And it was absolutely a crazy experience. Um, it ended up, we had summers around 300 people and 12 dogs wow. came to pose in a picture with a tree. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a magical outcome. So 
no conversation was ever had. I just kind of burned them because I had made this crazy <laughs> personal commitment. <laughs> oh, the, uh, the, the, back to the kids. The, talk about how important it is to you and to the, well, I should say, why is it important to talk to these, to these kids that you talk to? Oh, I think it's important because art is an underappreciated skill set. It's uh, an underappreciated uh, outlet. Um, it's very personal. Um, and and for me, I mean, for me, like I, the message I try to tell these kids, you know, if you ever wanted to write, write. If you ever wanted to draw, draw. If you ever wanted to paint, paint. If you ever wanted to be a photographer, be a photographer. Um, do it because it's personally rewarding. Um, but the other really fun message that I've been sharing is that uh, as an art medium, uh, it can be a way to make a living, surprisingly. And uh, Todd, you were there. You were there when I, I shared one of the messages that I've been really emphasizing now, and it's all about life's connections and and how I became a photographer. And, and uh, I became a photographer because of teachers and uh, it freaked the kids out when I tested them all. They're trying to determine. I said, who do you think inspired me to become a photographer? And, and they identified a lot of the people that we would expect to inspire us, our friends, um, our parents, um, art teachers. They were tossing all these things out. And then finally, finally at some point they figured, oh, it is a teacher. And then when they discovered that it's not an art teacher, it was an algebra teacher and a science teacher. And... Uh, that these people inspired me to discover in myself something that was hidden, something that I probably wouldn't have found without their encouragement. I discovered a creative outlet that I had. And I discovered a creative outlet that it took me 20 years to really be able to utilize it to specifically and dramatically reward me because now I'm self-employed. But it's a creative outlet that's yielding phenomenal personal rewards. It's it's uh, creating surprisingly financial rewards. And we don't have to all be scientists. We don't all have to be business owners. Well, I guess I'm a business owner. But uh, we don't all have to follow the corporate business model. Um, uh, world's, world's full of possibilities. You just need to be able to take some risks. And uh, I've discovered the silly cliche, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Well, I got my clip for the video that I needed. That's the, <laughs> there, there, that's there the interview. There. That's yeah. the interview. The, the interview that the B-roll goes over perfectly. I'm <laughs> 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 oh, a sneaky bastard. <laughs> um, so uh, I hate it when you make me wax philosophical. <laughs> well, it, it, it makes for good video. Um, what is the uh, so? What's your impression of the Quad Cities? Oh I mean, did gosh. you did you ever spend much time here when you were up in Dubuque? Nope, nope. I mean, you know, geographically, the Telegraph Herald is kind of the corner of Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin. I honestly had never really spent much time down here. The beer was better when you were, when you were in Dubuque. The beer was better on the other side of the river to Wisconsin yeah, than yeah, it would have been coming down here. But true. we got, yeah. Well, I laugh all the all the, the businesses here that carry uh, Potosi's beer. I've seen it on tap at several places. Yeah, but yeah. but I, I'm liking the Quad Cities. Um, you know, I always kind of had it, Dubuque in the day had a really crappy reputation, and it it found a way to uh, revitalize and restore itself. and And the Quad Cities always had kind of a rough reputation. But you know, I've I've been here for going on three weeks now. Um, it's actually a really beautiful area. 
Um, you can't beat living on the Mississippi. Uh, I've enjoyed great food, incredible hospitality. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really enjoying it. And the, the whole arts concept, I mean, the Figgy Museum really in the Quad Cities, that's pretty incredible. Um, to have an organization like Quad City Arts out there promoting arts in the schools, they brought in a visual artist, guys, come on. I mean, we're not artists, we're just photographers. They brought me in and created this amazing opportunity for me. And um, yeah, I think the Quad Cities has lots of potential. Uh, I, I think with a little bit of effort, they could become the next Dubuque as far as that public perception of a unique place. Mm -hmm. They just need to find the core group of people to help them achieve that level of uh, public uh, attention. I think one of the problems with the Quad Cities is that it's it's like throwing an egg at the wall and it just goes everywhere yeah. because there is no singular word or place. You know, there's Davenport's downtown. Yep. Bettendorf is being torn to shreds because of the bridge. Mm -hmm. Moline is making it's this is the renaissance of downtown Moline. When I started here or Todd grew up here. So he remembers oh, when yeah. it was a little kid, when it was a little kid and it was a vibrant downtown. And then the farm crisis and the John Deere moved their headquarters out of the downtown and the downtown was I mean it was oh, yeah. horrible you could fire a cannon down the middle and not wow. hit anybody and then now in the last two, you know what is it the last five ten years it's slowly come back up to where the downtown restaurants and or they've made an investment in bars um, as opposed to uh, or made investment in restaurants and not just yeah. bars so that you're bringing in and then you have the iWireless center so it's a much more family oriented mm -hmm. Uh, environment, which I think is a better money maker than when Rock Island went sure. for the went for the went the for the bar crowd. thing, the college crowd, yeah. and that's a that's a that's a you know no, a target a that moves. Yeah, I think Moline's at the the crossroads. There were some really interesting things with the WIU campus, and you know yeah. the continuing. Uh, I mean, if Illinois ever gets its head out of its butt and. Yeah, you know, the, phase two the, and three the two and state thing is the problem. I mean, you yeah. Know, yeah. If, if you had these four communities on one side of the river, I think it would be a much more achievable opportunity. But it's it's that separation. I mean, it, yep. so you either have the two or the two, and you can't get all four together. Yeah, it's, no. I mean, they, when they get it right, it's great. Yeah. And, but it's a lot of time. It's very competitive. I don't think that, and not to go totally into business side of the, the Quad Cities, but. You know, John Deere Road is the is the busiest road in the Quad Cities. They're just now starting a project to expand it that will invite businesses, you know, be it uh, large scale out of town businesses that to uh, to to settle in there. But they've you know they they've totally bungled John Deere Road and as far as the investment and the businesses and to keep people on this side of the river. So what happened, businesses thrived on the Iowa side of the river, so people are driving across that, that horrible bridge to, to, to shop in Iowa, which hurts Illinois. So mm -hmm. I mean, it's, anyway, yep. we could go on, we could do a podcast well, on I, the- I've probably spent more time in Moline than any of the other three places. Good. Yeah, it's- I mean, really, I, I've discovered so many nice restaurants, the downtown here is just really, it's easy to get through. You know, so here's the crazy thing. So as a guy who published the book, That Tree, and as with Brian Peterson's book, State of Wonders, uh, and my book is available on Amazon, and Amazon, you're a hostage if you're a, a distribution by seller guy. So if a book order comes in today, I better have it shipped by today. Well, 
I need access to a convenient post office. I'm telling you guys, I love the Moline post office. There's, seriously, there's there's two girls that work down there. They're just customer service extraordinaire. I go in and and they take care of me and and it's it's kind of funny. I mean, you discover those conveniences. I've used the Davenport post office as a nightmare to get to. It's it's. Yeah, parking's bad. And, <laughs> parking's yeah. bad. I, I If I have a book to ship, I shipped them before I came here, if you want to know the truth. And then yeah. I went to Dead Poets and got coffee. There you go. <laughs> nice, <dude>. nice, yeah. <laughs> now, you still live in Platteville? I still live in Platteville. Do you ever okay. get over to Mount Horeb? Uh, occasionally. I knew, occasionally. I knew you were going to go <laughs> oh, yeah. there. Are you, are you going to ask him what kind of underwear guy? he's wearing now? Are you a saying, grumpy troll guy? Or are you a Duluth trading guy? guy? I'm a Duluth trading guy. And it's I've got oh. him. Weirdly enough, the the entire photo department. I do department not want to see your naked to... underwear. <laughs> yeah, I gotta... Wait, what do you mean entire? I'm wearing. I'm, I'm wearing. Uh, oh, who's where, where, raise your hand if you're wearing buck naked underwear right now? Right now, buddy. Uh, right, right too. Fifty percent right. at the table. That's right, I, yeah. guys. I've never worn those. I, I'm they're t- awesome. You're cheating yourself. You're okay. cheating yourself. You're okay. cheating. I'm wearing. I, I'm wearing the pants too right now. I guess, yeah, I, don't, the, I, guess I don't have the caboose for it yet. Yeah, yeah. You'll never go back to cotton. Yeah, you never go. All right, before we go, I got one more question that it relates to your being here in the Quad Cities. The hand-on teaching. Uh, talk about the hands-on teaching with the junior high kids. Oh, yeah. So so the first week and a half, I worked with high school kids, and, and that was good. I mean, they were a really talented crew over in North Scott. Michelle Mess is the art teacher. Her husband, Mark, is a good uh, local portrait photographer. So this, those kids really have uh, a head start over most kids who are getting inspired to pursue photography. But I am I was more excited about the opportunity I had with the the Edison and Washington junior high kids because I mean I was so excited by it. I, I came in, I think the first time I met with them was on uh, Wednesday a week ago. And these kids had never met one another before. There's eighteen of them. They loaded them up on the school bus from the two schools. So you had the dynamic of these junior high kids meeting one another for the first time, which of course creates a unique dynamic. But they showed up that first day, we put them in a horseshoe out at Singing Bird Nature Center and I started talking to them about photography. Uh, Quad City Arts provided a copy of my book to every single one of those kids. Wow. So it's like the textbook wow, wow. for them. So they all got a copy of my book and we sat down and we just started to have this very constructive conversation about creativity and about photography as an art medium and about the amazing tool they all have in their pocket, whether it's an Android phone or an iPhone. Now, uh, another entity I need to really sing praises of is uh, is it iWireless. They provide it, isn't that the the local Mm -hmm. cell phone company? Well, they sponsor the building locally. Yeah, it's well, a regional thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a regional thing, right? Yeah, so so they they that organization provided cameras that we could use for the kids. Wow, we had like uh, they gave us uh, uh, Apple iPhone C, the colored ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. they don't have SIM chips in them, but so we have we have like twenty of these. We keep them charged up, and we put one in the hands of each kid. Then we go out, we start making pictures. The end of the end of the day, we download all the pictures. But uh, so it was this level playing field. All these kids, everybody had access to the same technology. And to teach these kids grassroots, fundamentals of composition and uh, go from there. And then to, to go out in the woods every day, wandering around with these kids, uh, teaching them how to make pictures. I mean, after that first day, I was so excited. After the first day, I couldn't wait to call my twin brother, John, and tell him about this process because it was it was like starting with a clean slate. And the culmination will be tonight, 
the two teachers I'm working with, we're gonna meet after the kids finish up at five o'clock. We're gonna download all the pictures. We're gonna go through an editing process. And then uh, tomorrow, the last day with these junior high kids, we're gonna do a slideshow with their pictures. And uh, one of the processes I would put kids through when I taught at the college level, um, uh, it's about being able to, it's the subjective nature of what we do. It's about being able to define why you find a picture appealing or define what it is about the composition or more importantly, the quality of light and to be able to talk about the quality of light. So uh, the second day I made all the kids pick a picture, go through my book, pick a picture, and then we projected it. And then part of the learning process to make pictures is being able to understand why a particular picture is appealing to you. So the kids around the room, it was a great icebreaker. Uh, they all had to talk about what they liked or what they found inspiring or interesting about a picture. So tomorrow, Friday, we will have that same experience but using the pictures these kids produce. So Todd, you were there, you saw what it's like teaching junior high kids, but to talk to them is much different than, yeah, I know, shaking your head, eyes closed, pondering but that experience. You survived. They're still talking about you though, dude. The two Ethans both brought tripods the day after you <laughs> talked to them, you impacted them. So tomorrow though, they will see the culmination of the process. We'll talk about the positive outcomes of their pictures and it'll be another incredibly rewarding experience I got. Uh, thanks to Quad City Arts, allowing me to hopefully inspire young people. So yeah, I really love the whole process. I would say that the the process of Mark was late, <laughs> so I had it all I, I was, planned. I'm I had it, I was stranded uh, only in high school with another great group of students, Stacy Ripplinger. I was great art teacher. I, yeah, well, <laughs> she kept you there too long, Stacy. No, anyway, the um, well, she brought you a goodie bag later to, to, as, a, as a thank bag. you. She also brought me letters from every single one of the kids with oh, wow. amazing reflections about what they learned from the experience. Well, that's cool. Listen to me talk too much. That's cool. <laughs> the um, but Mark was late. So I, he, my phone rings. The, all the kids are in the horseshoe. I got two art teachers, a couple people from Quad City Arts. <laughs> I'm standing there with a stack of paper that I, I did a, like a three-page thing on basics of shooting video with, with an iPhone. And I had, it, I had an app that I got my computer. I'm all ready for Mark's uh, projector to plug into <laughs> so that we can like hands-on. And he's like, dude, can you get started? You know, without me, I'm, I'm like, I'm like 15 minutes away. And I'm like, uh, okay. Hi. So I'm like, hi, you have no idea who I am. Junior high kids and this one girl's like. Ah. <laughs> They're sweating. So I start handing out the sheet of, excuse me, hitting my microphone. I go through, start handing out the pieces of paper. And um, I'm about two people away from this, from this, girl and uh she goes she she's holding her camera vertically oh. and she goes you mean i can't shoot like this and i'm like no it, <laughs> no more vertical video and she goes <sighs> <laughs> like oh god I'm, I'm, am I'm amazed you restrained yourself from slapping it out of her hand how much you hate so, vertical th video yeah i know oh, and so i go around i can everything out and i we start going point i mean i've got no visual aids it's just me in front of i'm sorry six, it's all right it's all right <laughs> you know 
it, it was it was a little fiery and squatty, um, but you know, I mean, I'm I'm you know I'm outgoing enough that this isn't really a problem. Yeah. And uh, so I start talking, and you know, like, hey, this is the and I had it all planned because I was going to start with the glove and boots video about no vertical video, the PSA. I'm figuring the best way to get a hold of yeah. junior high kids is a are two puppets who hate <laughs> vertical video, <laughs> right? Video, yeah. yeah. Well, it's just me now. I don't yeah, get any puppets. No. Like I'm working without a net. You just take your socks off. Yeah, I'm like, oh, this is it. So, and I, so I went, oh, do you guys all, I assumed, I didn't know about the whole like donating of the, the phones. I thought they all had phones with video plans. So I'm like, hey, do you want to call this up on your video, on your phones? And one kid goes, I really don't want to use my data plan. Ouch. Oh. <laughs> like, okay. Well, then we'll just wait for Mark to get here for that part of the presentation. So, you know, oh, I, we I went through it. about three quarters of the sheet, and here comes Herd. I see his truck, come, you know, Singing Bird Lodge. He jumps out, and he's like, dude, where are we? <laughs> so he's quickly setting things up, and we get it all figured out. And so then it was then it was that we tag-teamed him on composition and, you know, how to set up to do a video interview and talked about microphones and, you know, simple composition things. And then it, it flowed a, a little bit more naturally and, um, but it was it was good, and but but I knew I had made some impact because the girl who went <sighs> said so. Oh, I showed him a picture. I shot entire video with, of my dogs in the backyard on that really seventy yeah. degree day that we yep. talked about earlier. That um, I shot it completely with an iPhone, like little tripod down low. Yep. You know, trying to do composition. You know, kind of showing you know rule of thirds and whatnot and foreground to background. And um, when I showed the dog video, the blonde girl p paid attention, mm -hmm. and she she turns to me and says, "Well, how do you put it all together once you get all the clips?" And so I called up Final Cut Pro, and of course, Final Cut Pro to a person who's never seen an editing program looks yeah. like the control panel on a 747 because you you don't it, it all just looks really super complicated, and you know there was this little gasp, and and I said, but I said this is a this is the one I use professionally. There are a lot more simple ones that you can use, like iMovie is really great, and and you can edit on your phone. Oh, you can edit on your phone. Yeah, you can edit. There's iMovie for your phone. Yep. I said I have a Hollywood, um, Eric Schmidt, who is a high Hollywood cinematographer that I went to high school with, who's just awesome. He's, you know, he shot the, he was the chief photographer on the, on the mechanic, the movie, The Mechanic. And I mean, he's just, he's really good at his job. Shot tons of commercials and, and, um, and music videos that you've seen before, um, he and I were trading messages and he said, oh, you got to get, you got to start editing on your phone. You gotta, you gotta be able to edit. On, you gotta start editing on your phone. Try it, man. You'll really love it. And so I was telling those kids that, and they, they seemed to, you know, kind of like, oh, I can just have it all right in my hand. And um, so I escaped unscathed. And I, you know, one kid, you know, and the Ethans, you know, they're using a tripod now. Yeah, no, um, but I mean, dude, you, you, you help them understand the attainability of the technology. They already have it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. It. I mean, it's the idea that you can do what you can. If you first of all, if you can produce a book as great as Mark's book, or David Hume Kennerly's book, or David Gutenfelder's stuff 
from from North Korea, South Korea, which Korea? North Korea. North Korea. Um, the good Korea. The good Korea. No, the bad Korea. <laughs> the bad oh, the bad Korea. Korea. The bad yeah, Korea. Yeah. Well, well, good if you want interesting. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's right. I mean, Gutenfelder stuff's amazing. David Hume Kennerly is it? I mean, these are these are big names. I mean, how did you describe Gutenfelder as the the preeminent photojournalist of our time? I mean, really for our generation. Holy moly! I mean, this guy's done it all. I still remember. Was it Liberia? I didn't even know who he was. I had no idea he was a. a University of Iowa guy, and I remember the pictures of a Liberian soldier, and he's blasting, I don't know, it looks like a 50 caliber crazy gun, and and it's just chaos in the streets, and then you realize, you're looking at the proximity, you're like, oh my gosh, he's shooting over the head of the photographer, who is this guy? And it, he was AP at the time, I remember looking at the, this is back in my Telegraph Herald days, I mean, what year would that have been? It would have been in the 90s. Yeah. I remember like looking at the bylaw David Guttenfeller, holy crap. This guy's crazy. He was he was in the throes of chaos. But but then then you might open a National Geographic and it'll be these these amazingly inspiring soft quiet photos of something that's landscape oriented or even in his travels through his home state of Wisconsin, somewhere's in northern Wisconsin, it's like, oh my gosh, these are all from the same guy. You talk about a yeah. diverse photojournalist of our time. I mean yeah. The guy's amazing, and, you know, and he's embraced the iPhone. So yep. you have, you have, you know, and David Hume Kennerly is a personal hero of mine. His book is 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 awesome too. And and <laughs> I so got you, a David you, Hume Kennerly story I have to share. Okay, so University of Dubuque. Um, Al Gore on the campaign trail. I ran into him with Al Gore too. Well, and so it was my this. So, yeah. so so we're at University of Dubuque and uh, we're covering and 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 Al Gore is sitting there and on. In front of everybody, everything's over and he's finished his interview and somebody asks him about his Blackberry. So he pulls out his Blackberry and there the reporters are asking him and he's demonstrating how he uses his Blackberry and there's a bunch of us raw on the floor and it's kind of a floor scrum. And uh, David Hume Kennedy is like right beside me and I knew who he was, but he's just another photographer in the in the, the in photo the J scrum. Yeah, the photo J scrum. And as I'm kind of scooching around moving, I kick something and it topples over and I turn around and it's a 7200 that some photographers parked in a bad spot. Oh. And and David Hume Kennerly groans and grumps something at me because I just kicked his lens over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I my experience with him was we, we were covering Al Gore, but Al was late and we were in the River Center. And I we had just been issued that NC... 2000 oh yeah the, the first digital yes. camera yeah and i'm standing there with this this pixel hell yeah pixel hell i'm standing <laughs> with a small school bus around my neck <laughs> and and you know i you know i'm like oh my god i read his book and you know i'm 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 like i want to say something but i don't want to i don't want to say something that comes off as gushing gushing or stalkery oh man i love you oh my <laughs> god works awesome can I, can I rub your head can i rub your head can i rub your head uh, and we ended up talking about you know the where the you know he was still shooting film but he knew that that was that when those cameras got better that that was the way we were all going to go um but he was going to hold on to the film you know, until it got to where it was, it could, it was equal to, mm -hmm. and I, and he was very gracious and very nice. And I tried, I, he apparently didn't file a restraining order. So <laughs> we were, we were, we were good, but it was, um, yeah, that was, it was with Al Gore. It was, he was following Al Gore everywhere that for time, I think, uh -huh. but 
Yeah, so wow. he was very he was very gracious to me. That was my that's my David Hume Kennerly story. Just don't kick his lens over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> boy. That was, I mean, he wasn't in a bad mood when I run into him, so Al must have gone from Davenport to Dubuque. So, you know, you know when I was at this other thing, this asshole from Dubuque kicked over my lens. Who does he think he is? But, uh, but back to the kids. The kids, you know, they've got a, a storytelling tool um, and a, 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 a way to express themselves that they have with them, and that was what I opened with. I'm like, you've got this most amazing tool ever, I mean, when I was in your age, if I wanted to take pictures or shoot movies, I had to take them and then process the film, and there was this lag. And I think the learning curve is shorter now because oh, yeah. click, Instant feedback. it sucks. Mm-hmm. Click, oh, that's better. Click, 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 oh, there I got it. Whereas with the with the film, oh, I I've got this lined up. This is perfect. Click, you know, whatever. And then you come back and you're like, oh, this is... I should have moved to my left, yeah, yeah. you know, and you, there's yeah. no, and I think that kids, um, that's why I think Brian and Meg are, are, are advancing so rapidly to, to shoot at a high level because they can learn, we mm-hmm. can teach instantly, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and I think that's cool. And those kids, you know, you know, they're lucky. Yeah. But they have to focus. That's the thing we were talking about, the basics. The focus, you have to focus on mastering your basics. If you don't master your basics and you try to play, um, you know, you you learn chopsticks on a piano and then you learn something more complicated and you build up. Photography is the exact same way. You have to master the basics of what you're doing via video or stills or whatever. And then you you can move up the the food chain and... and Yeah, one of the biggest challenges with a group of kids, and I'm, I'm still discovering it, I mean, literally, even yesterday... I, I look and, I, and I'm. They'll be making a composition. And I'll look over their shoulder and I'll be looking at the the screen view and I'm like, oh wait, stop, stop, stop. Deactivate digital zoom. And then I tell them you're turning your eight megapixel chip into a one or two megapixel chip. Mm-hmm. Be the human zoom to get them. And then the other thing, like you said, focus to get them to realize the iPhone is a dumb camera. It's as dumb as every camera. You need to tell it where you want to focus. You need to tell it where you want to base your exposure. That's the challenge. Don't shoot vertical video. Focus your iPhone. Um, don't use digital zoom. <laughs> yeah, who shot vertical video of his dog and posted it on Facebook the other day? Oh, <laughs> oh I did. I did. Did you oh, think about I, it afterwards? I did. I was. I was. I was, I was like, I'm not going to post this. I'm so. Did stupid. you? Did what you turn your flat Here's... screen on end for everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I don't understand: is we've had this argument before, but. For me, this makes more sense. And for <laughs> on a podcast, I'm I'm visually holding yes, out my phone his, in a vertical. Vertically. <laughs> Why give me the option to not have vertical video when I when I do this instead of this? I don't like that. Why? Why the sideways it, thing? I don't know. You know Mine what? Does that. Honestly, Apple needs to create the option of capturing a horizontal video while holding your iPhone vertically. Is, is it they that should. hard? I don't yeah. think it would be. I think so, too. And, and I'm always amazed at how many people, when I see them taking pictures with their iPhone, um, you know, they're trying to take a picture of three people, so you're going to have half of two people yeah. and the full length of their legs. Yep. Like, why do you, you know, that makes me crazy. But yep. I really don't, because this is this is instinctive. You know, it, it's, it is. this is how it you is. hold it's your phone. more stable. But... I think it never occurred to me until selfies became a thing and the vertical video was scrutinized that people could hold it like that. Because I think when I look at TV, everything is 
horizontal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I never think of, I never th- once thought, you know, hey, I could do vertical just because I thought it would look silly. But then to your point, it feels right in your hand. So it kind of is a back and forth of which do I do or left brain, right brain, Nikon, Canon, whatever. Yeah. But it's just it's something you don't think about until you put it on and you're like, oh, wait, that doesn't look great or that looks great. Well, I'm always amazed at how many people are at the point of breaking news, you know, there, I mean, the camera phone is everywhere. So if you're going to shoot up a, a train station or blow up a train station, there's going to be somebody who turns and points a camera at it. Mm-hmm. And running like this is more – I'm holding the camera vertically, vertically. for those who are <laughs> listening at home. And the, the running like this while filming is a lot more stable than running like th- yeah, horizontally sure. while you're running away from – you know, well, the bomb well, or the I think it shooter. Was, what was it during the men's or it might've been like the final four uh, where the escalator broke and people fell down the escalator. Cause I, I don't, it didn't really register on the YouTube video, but the guy shot it vertically probably cause it's like, Oh crap, you know, yeah. pulls out his phone vertically and just hits record. And I don't think it's just one of those comfortable things. I think when mm-hmm. you're in a pinch, boom, Instead of, oh, I'm going to do this, you know, line up with that and ho- turn it horizontal. The only vertical video I've ever seen that should have been vertical video was a guy on safari in Africa, in Africa getting chased by a giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ho- and, horizontal's and, not yeah, going to help. And I'm yeah. like, okay, there is the one, you know, <laughs> the, that's the one anomaly in the world that vertical video works. If you're getting chased by a giraffe, kids... Shoot vertical Shoot video, vertical. but anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, Mark, we appreciate you coming in. Thanks, Joe. We finally got you in here, and it's courtesy of Quad City Arts. They're paying him to be here. Woo-hoo. We don't have to give him anything. We gave him a bottle of water. He didn't drink it. Well, there you go. <laughs> Put it back in the fridge. Put it back in the fridge. Yeah. Mark, thank you very much. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank it was you for fun. being here. The Talking Pictures Podcast is a production of The Dispatch, The Rock Island Argus, and QCOnline.com. To see some of the photos and videos discussed in our podcast, be sure to go to talkingpicturespodcast.blogspot.com. Talking Pictures is produced by Todd Meisner, Paul Coletti, and Todd Walvert. Thanks to Laura Anderson Shaw, Meg McLaughlin, Laura Frames, and Randy Fisk. The music was provided by Kevin McLeod at www.incomputech.com. Make sure you subscribe to Talking Pictures on iTunes or SoundCloud.